When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into the CHGO Blackhawks podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Download the app and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. Welcome in. Mario's back. We're at full strength, uh, hey. back at full strength. We killed the penalty. I yeah. think we did very well. You and I shorthanded, Greg. Yeah. Uh, very happy to have Mario back. We've got a big show today. No time to waste. Real quick, if you're on the YouTube, make sure you like the video. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on the podcast, follow, subscribe, all that stuff. Leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would greatly appreciate that. Today's show, in the second half, Greg Boyson will get the CHGO logo tattooed on his arm uh, hence, in the second half of the, the show. Hence the set change. Yes, yes, hence the set change. Uh, Mario is shifted to center while Greg and I have the wings. The bye week. we got to bring uh, up the ratings somehow. It's like ice hockey. Two fats and a skinny. You got to have the skinny center uh, sure. with my God. speed. I love that game. See? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's good, isn't it? That works. Um, but most importantly, we're going to welcome in for the second day in a row a very special guest, Shana Goldman of The Athletic, joins us here on the CHGO Blackhawks podcast. And Shana, we've wanted to talk to you for a while because you wrote, well, you write great stuff all the time, but two awesome things for Hawks fans. First and foremost, how good is Connor Bedard going to be? And we got in that conversation with ESPN's Emily Kaplan yesterday. And the one that really got my attention is if the Blackhawks hadn't sold off, how good would they have been this year? How big of a difference would it have made? But let's start with Connor Bedard because that's who's been on everyone's mind basically since Alex DeBrinkett was traded, Kirby Doc was traded, everybody was traded. We saw him dominate the World Juniors. He has picked up the pace when he went back to Regina to play for the Pats. How good of a prospect is this kid? He's really good. I think I think looking at first overall picks is honestly really difficult because we've been spoiled by the likes of Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. And if someone doesn't match up to that, automatically everyone yells their bust and their disappointment. You look at Rasmus Dallin, he's a prime example of that. He's hitting his stride now, but some didn't have the patience for him to get there. Um, and in recent years, we've seen first overall pick struggle a little bit more, the Jack Hughes of the world, and look at what he's doing now. And, you know, Alexi Lafreniere still hasn't hit his stride at the NHL level. So all of that is worth keeping in stride. There's a middle ground between having a terrible rookie year and having a fantastic one and becoming a generational talent. That said, there's a lot of reason to like Connor Bedard as a prospect and to like him as a first overall pick and to have high hopes for what he's going to do. We did some of the math. Uh, during World Juniors. It's changed since because he's returned to the WHL and has been absolutely crushing it. But um, a while back, Dom Lushishin did work on the value of a draft pick, and he found that uh, first round, a first overall pick is expected to bring 18 wins to a lineup over their first seven seasons. So that's not seven NHL seasons necessarily. It's the seven-plus seasons after a player was drafted. At the time, um, he had his model had Bedard to be worth 22.6 wins over his first seven seasons, which is even better. You know, it's above average for that uh, pick. But to keep some context, to keep it, you know, even uh, McDavid, he was worth almost 31 wins in his first seven seasons. And Matthews, who's in that seventh season right now, is already worth 28 wins. So, you know, it's not those heights, but it's still above average and very good for a first overall pick. Well, you mentioned, you know, the the impatience with first-round picks. That's something we have experienced a lot here in Chicago because for a long time the Hawks weren't worth paying attention to. Then Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves come along. They're great right away. 
So when Adam Boquist and Kirby Doc and Tavo Teravainen and the list goes on and on weren't immediately great difference makers, we saw a lot of the fan base uh, kind of grow impatient with that. And it sounds like Bedard will be pretty good right off the hop. As far as just from what you know about some of the guys later in the draft, like Adam Fantilli, I think that would be the kind of guy who you would expect to be more of a normal trajectory, right? Like it might take him a year or two to really start showing why he was picked as high as he was. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's possible. So the reason a first overall pick is the first overall pick is because one, they have the highest ceiling. Two, they're expected to get there quicker. Um, the top five picks all have very high ceilings generally and are generally bringing a lot to a lineup across those first seven seasons. Um, we use the seven seasons because that's generally before a player can hit unrestricted free agency. And, you know, it's the years that a team has control over them. But generally speaking, those players do reach that those heights very quickly. You see it drop off after the 10th overall pick. And, you know, once the pick starts sliding late first round to second round, third round, you see like a very small gap between picks. So there isn't that huge jump from, say, a third rounder to a seventh rounder. But for top five picks, you could expect them to be impact players in year one. But you still need to, I think with every prospect, unless they're the generational players, you need to pump the brakes because I just think that you know, everyone's so excited and so quick. And generally speaking, if a team is picking first overall, they're probably not a very good team at the time of the draft. So that player <laughs> can still come into the lineup, but are you expecting them to be elite off the bat when they have zero support, when they're trying to adjust to the NHL and everybody has their number, or if they're the only star player in the lineup at that time, they're going to get every single tough matchup. So those are things to keep in stride. So I don't think necessarily you know, someone who goes third or fourth won't be an impact player in year one. It's just, you know, keeping in mind that they're not the first overall pick for a reason. Sure. So when you look at, uh, we've heard a lot about this 2023 draft class and how deep it is and through the first 50, 60 picks. When you look at the model, do you, does it kind of line up that way as well, where maybe a, a early second round pick might be looked at as a pick that maybe would usually land in the 20s in the first round? It's entirely possible. I think it's tough to go through um, projections for everyone because when we look at player projections, we're using things like NHL equivalency, which we know are flawed to begin with. There's only so much data to go off of. And generally, you know, with models for Don Lucician's model in particular, you know, once a player reaches the NHL, it wipes out all of their pre-NHL stats. And we focus on the first three years of their NHL career. And if they don't have that, it just weighs the first couple a little bit heavier. So that's the one tricky thing with projecting players. Uh, having said that, the fact that we know it's a it's you know a strong draft is encouraging, even for teams who don't have the best scouting staffs, because in a normal year, or even in a weak year, the best teams can still find great value players. They just need a little bit more creativity and they need to look outside the box. Uh, so if you're someone that doesn't think the Blackhawks have the best scouting staff, the fact that they're a deeper draft should give a little bit more confidence that even if they try to go off the board, that there's stronger players later in that first round. You know, we, you've done all the math. You've, you've, you've done your projections. You put in your research. We've all seen Connor Bernard and, and the amazing talent he has. In your best, not to put you on the spot, but in your best educated <laughs> guess, would you expect him to maybe have more of a Jack Hughes progression where it takes him a year or two to finally become that superstar? Or... Should we just write his name on the Calder Trophy already and just get ready to hand it to him next season? Um, it depends where he goes. If he goes to a team like Columbus, I think there's a very good chance of that. If he goes to a team like Chicago or even Anaheim, there's a little bit more reason for concern because you look at how far those teams still have to come to be relevant. Uh, Anaheim is on pace for like a historically bad season. Chicago, we know, is a weak team right now and they're bound to get weaker at the deadline so that's the one question i have but i do like a lot about his game and i know that there's been some concerns about his size and whether he could play center at the nhl level and i think a lot of that gets overblown because i mean oftentimes you hear it from more traditional thinkers who don't want to think you know a smaller player can handle playing among men and can't handle himself down the middle and has to shift to wing permanently to be relevant when that's not the case uh I would be curious where he lands because that might decide where he plays you know does he start at center and have a strong winger to help elevate his game it depends what team gets him does he start on the wing which a ton of centers do and credit to helping their game so they don't have to worry about the defensive responsibilities of it 
and have a strong center to help him out. It really depends who's still in Chicago at that point, if he ends up with the Blackhawks or, you know, anywhere else. But I do think, you know, it's reasonable to say he could be an impact player in his first year, regardless of where he goes. Is it Calder level? That's that's a big question because that has to be, you know, a really high-end player because a lot of the time Calder trophy voting depends on points. Right, and we're seeing with Patrick Kane this year, without the complimentary cast of players that he's had in the past, the numbers have gone way down for Patrick Kane. And I don't think there's any doubt that he hasn't suddenly forgotten how to play hockey. He hasn't suddenly gotten worse, but Alex Dabrinkit and Dylan Strom go away and you see his numbers drop precipitously. So even for established great NHL players, not having the talent plays a huge role. And I think there's some people that, that wonder if Patrick Kane will wait to decide uh, his fate with the Blackhawks and uh, you know to see what happens with the draft. Cause if they get counter Bedard, that's probably pretty enticing for somebody like Kane. Um, but yeah, I, I think your message is, is very clear, Shane. And, I, and I'm glad you're the one saying it cause we've been saying it all along. <laughs> Patience is so important with, with uh, a rebuild and with, with prospects and everything. And we've even seen Lucas Reichel's played what 14, About 15, 15 games. NHL games yeah. so far. And there's already a, a percentage of our audience that's ready to write him off because he hasn't come in and immediately been a superstar. So, yeah, patience is key, even with somebody as high as Bedard. I, I think it's something important to keep in mind. Yeah, that was a absolutely. statement, not a question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just to add on, you know, I think sometimes we get overwhelmed with the idea of, like, quality of competition, and it is important. There are some players that legitimately can't handle playing top defensemen or top forwards. Mm -hmm. But quality of teammates is one of the most influential things on a player's, you know, shot rates, and the shot rates are usually indicative of production. So that's something to keep in mind. Like you said, Patrick Kane is dealing with the inevitable effects of decline. Absolutely. You can see that in his game. It happens with every player when they get into their 30s. Generally, when someone's super elite, it's just a longer way down, so they're still above average. But when they have no support around them, it's that's the difference maker. Yeah, in the so going to the article that that you and and, and Dom put together about projecting uh, what Bedard could do uh, in the NHL, you have that his rookie season he would come out to about a seventy-two point season. Is that going with just kind of like an average roster or is that kind of going with well at best case scenario with maybe a player or two around him he can do that yeah i would say that's with an average roster um with a player two around him he could pick it up a little bit more with the right coach he can uh coaching super influential too we've seen it with past first overall picks you know not every coach wants to hand a player minutes. Even if they don't have a good roster, they feel that player has to earn their minutes. And it can be tough for a player to earn their minutes and have that you know strike of confidence without, say, top unit power play time. And that can drag down their game. It, it's, it really does depend on situation. So that's the projection for the average roster. But we have to keep in mind, say he plays for David Quinn in San Jose. We have seen David Quinn coach two top two overall picks. And he wanted things to be very simple, very risk averse, and it did impact the players. They were worried about taking chances because would it impact their ice time? They were getting third line minutes and minimal power play time. That seems to weigh on both of them to the point where they're not where they should be today. And it's hard to say, hey, hand them minutes when they've done nothing to prove that they have deserved those minutes. You know, when you look at the results, but most would tell you that if the player got the minutes, they'd have, you know, a little bit more confidence. If they got a couple lucky bounces on the power play, it's going to trickle into their five on five ice time. So that's a really interesting one. You know, you look at the different coaches of the contenders for Bedard, who would manage that situation the best? I think it's clearly Luke Richardson. Obviously. Luke yeah. Richardson. Obviously. And I think, I think that he should pull a uh, Eli Manning and say, I refuse to go anywhere but Chicago because of Luke. Yeah. All right. Not? Thanks. That's it. No. Um, <laughs> well, you know what? That actually leads kind of nicely into into the next topic we want to get to. And, you know, it, uh, it's very hard to judge a head coach when the roster he was handed is so poor. Um, like, you know, the, the Hawks roster is designed to be the worst in hockey, and it is as of right now. Um, but we've been pretty impressed with the way he's been able to keep the team competing. Um so we found ourselves wondering this early in the year, wow, if Luke Richardson had been the coach last year with Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury and Alex Dabrinkit and Dylan Strom and Dominic Kubelik and Eric Gustafson and all those players that were here, what would that team have looked like? Would they have been better than they were with Jeremy Colleton? And 
you did the work. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll let you reveal the results because I thought they were fascinating. Yeah, I think that they would have been a better team had they had a different uh, coach. I mean, it's interesting, too, because when Derek King took over, they went very, very, very simple. And simple doesn't have to be bad. It can be a foundational way of learning, you know, especially in the defensive zone. That's somewhere that they improved. And offensively, they were still a little bit below average. Um, you look at it this year, there's only so much a coach can do with this roster at the end of the day. And that's completely and totally understandable for where the Blackhawks currently are. If they had players like Debrinkat still in the mix and Strom and Doc, would they be a better team? Yes. Would they be good? Probably not. They're, they're, I don't think you can catch the likes of Colorado or Tampa Bay or Florida or Toronto last year with the roster that they had put together. That defense was still incredibly flawed. But the nice thing is we know that a coach can teach defensive structure. I think you can't, in my opinion, you can't teach offensive skill. A player has it and you can refine it, but you can't teach that innate offensive skill that a lot of players have unless you have round the clock skills, uh, skills coaches. But again, there has to be some like basis for talent there. Defense, you can teach structure. You can teach systems. Um, Depending on how much you stick to them is all about a coach's preference. So it's interesting, like they could have had a weaker blue line and maybe been greater than the sum of their parts, but would they have been competitive still? Probably not. Yeah, I, I remember reading through that that work that that you did uh, along with Scott Powers and just and just thinking like every Blackhawks fan needs to read this to understand like why mm-hmm. they are going the direction that they are going because there's a big difference, especially this year, in trying to pick first and maybe at at worst ending up picking eighth ninth like it's it's a big difference and and holding on to those players while they were performing better than the players that are now when you when you go through the numbers and and what you know their 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 metrics would have maybe projected into this season it's not much better it's almost worse it's almost putting yourself more into the middle ground of the nhl which this season is like the worst place to be so i just found that interesting so the best thing a team can do, in my opinion, is be honest about where they are and where they're going and what they want to do. You look at teams like St. Louis, and it feels like for a couple of years now, they could have looked at themselves in the mirror and gone, we're not very good. We are destined to end in the middle, and that middle might be reaching the playoffs, but it's getting out in round one or two. That's not accomplishing enough for where they were in. They should have been in their playoff window. Teams can step back, sell pieces, and figure it out from there. Blackhawks weren't in that position last year. They weren't in the position to say, let's step back, sell a couple pieces, hope for the best, quickly turn it around. Like they needed a full teardown. The issue I would have with it, it's not that they chose to get rid of those players. It's what they got back, I think, is the thing to nitpick with pretty much every player they moved. And I think you can even nitpick the fact that they maybe moved on from a player like Doc instead of giving him a chance when that's a player you keep in a rebuild situation. But, you know, they have a chance to do better this year and be honest with themselves and even if it's it's tough because you have these foundational pieces in Taves and Kane that you're considering moving if you're the Blackhawks but you have to look at it realistically and say we have to get any future assets we can get and if they want to come back in free agency by all means but until then you you have to move these pieces you have to be honest about your trajectory and you don't want anything that can take you out of the Bedard race this year and you don't want anything that could take away your draft picks last year especially when they didn't have the picks that they could have wanted because they had moved them for a very yeah. bad contract that they decided to sign. Yeah, it, we've been fighting that battle with some of our, our viewers this year where we get the, I don't understand why we're losing on purpose and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, honestly, Blackhawks should have done this three or four seasons ago. Right. Um, but, you know, the last guy in charge just wanted to pry that window open as long as he could. Um but to kind of tie your two pieces that we focus on today together, um, yeah, the some of those trades were unpopular, but based on your projections of what the Hawks would have been this year, even if they kept all those guys, and based on your project, projections of who Connor Bedard can be, and even the rest of the, those first top five picks, this is the best year to do what they're doing, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they had done it sooner, it's a different conversation. You know, they they did it three years ago. They'd be in a different spot now. But because they didn't, 
absolutely tear it down this year. Um, do whatever you can, because, you know, the more you prolong it, the more it's going to hurt you anyway. You know, the last thing they need is to be moving assets out to bring players back that they're not even going to be able to contend with in their prime. And that's where you look at, you know, the Seth Jones contract. I think everybody knew the Blackhawks weren't in a good position to contend then. They still went for it. They moved out future assets that would have helped them now. And now they're going to be stuck with this contract. And by the time they're good again, he probably will be even worse than he is now, which is disappointing. But it's, it's you know, mistakes that they're going to have to find a way out of or work around. So, yeah, this this was absolutely the year to do it. You would have hoped they would have had a little more success with their moves last year to put them in a better position this year in the future asset sense. But it is what it is now. So they just have to keep moving pieces and speed this along. Well, what, what, that's, that's NHL all-star Seth Jones you're talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's yep. crazy – sorry, Shana. What's crazy about it is – even the most optimistic Hawks fans entering last year with the excitement of, wow, two marquee names of Flurry and Jones joining the team and everything else is like, wow, if this team really performs well, they could make the playoffs. Like, that was the ultimate uh, – like, if you stretch your imagination, they're a playoff team. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's frustrating that everyone in the hockey world saw it except the former GM. And now Kyle Davidson has no – choice but to do what he's doing because they're so far down they're so far out of it that he literally has to start from scratch and Greg has said it all year this year is the first step it wasn't last year it wasn't the draft it wasn't the summer it was this season and now they can start to begin from here and and hopefully it ends with with uh, Connor Bedard as a Blackhawk but even if it doesn't if it's if it's Fantilli or it's Mitch Carver, it's Carlson or whoever that player immediately becomes their best prospect and their future looks so much brighter, and you can kind of almost vaguely make out the light at the end of the tunnel with a pick yeah. like that. Whereas if they, you know, finish twenty eighth instead of thirty second, like Mario said, picking seventh or eighth, that light is a lot farther away. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's so interesting when you look back to last year too. A lot of people like the Blackhawks moved and were like, maybe this team could sneak into the playoffs. And I legitimately did not understand it because it was like the Kings are right there. The Kings are the team that went for this process and they did it soon enough that it could be a little bit more of a retool than a full blown rebuild. And they were able to blend their core with the young pieces that they brought in and they have a really strong prospect pool. So obviously different situations because of when they decided to make these changes. But I, I just didn't understand the hype of maybe the Blackhawks could do it with these right now moves. It feels like you're just trying to mask the problems. So yes, the better the pick they get, the better it is for them, the more there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But a key part of this is getting the player. The next part is drafting and de is developing that player. And that's going to be crucial in it. We've seen players get held back because they don't go through the right you know, process to help their progression. So that's, you know, it's not over yet. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, but there's still a long road there that management and coaching, everyone needs to be on the same page on how best to maximize that star player and make them the star player and then keep building around that. So it's going to be interesting to see how they proceed from here. You know, that's the first step of turning this around. I think is getting that top pick. You look at any rebuild, you look at the lightning years ago, you look at the Blackhawks last time they did, you look at the Kings, the jets, um, the devils, they got those top players and then they kept building around it versus say the Sabres, who got the top player, didn't do their best at drafting and developing all of them, and then tried to speed up the process by handing out really big contracts to mid-tier players as an effort to accelerate it, which ended up burning them. Yeah, The development aspect is interesting because I think the one criticism I have, and it's and I get why they're doing it, but it, it, it makes me fearful for his development is Lucas Reichel, who came up for his second recall and was great. He was undeniably one of the best Hawks on the ice, and we felt like maybe he was here to stay. And then, realistically, the Hawks look and say, well, if we keep him around, that might hurt our draft situation. They sent him down, and he's really struggled since his return back to Rockford. He had been on like a point-per-game pace, and since going down, he's really dropped off. So you have to wonder, what kind of impact does that have on him? And, and I'm, I'm a little bit concerned uh, at the way he's responded. And part of that's on him, obviously, but like you said, if, if you can't develop the prospect, it doesn't matter who it is, right? And, I, and I, I'm wondering if you're feeling the same way about the way they've handled Reichel. 
Yeah, that's a, it's a tricky one there because I understand them worried about their draft stock, but that's not the way to do it. You know, it's moving out the NHL players on expiring contracts or the NHL players with a year and a half left and just focusing on the build, you know, building the player skill sets that they have. And at times it might mean sending them down. Sometimes it's better to play meaningful minutes on an AHL squad versus playing minimal minutes at the NHL level or having more support and more focus on drafting and development with coaches who are really like built for that versus at the NHL level. Every situation differs. Every player differs. Every coach does. But here, if you see him struggling, you should figure out a way to fix that unless it's fully on an individual level. But even if it is, you want to find a way to fix that. So ideally, you know, players are going to get moved at the deadline. It's going to open up more space at the NHL level and the focus can just be on those players. Yeah. And I think part of that too is, part of the development is to try and have a competitive AHL team so that all those young guys that are there can play meaningful time, meaningful minutes, meaningful games. Um, but part of that is getting to those meaningful games. So hopefully, you know, that the, the slump that's, that Reichel's in isn't affecting the team uh, all too much. Um, I did want to ask, and I think we've all collectively wanted to, to ask this about uh, the, the, the player cards that, that you and Dom work on uh, at The Athletic are very, uh, very popular um, in, the, in the hockey community. And we all say that, you know, the, that the, the, the numbers and math and analytics of, of the sport are, v- are very important. And especially if they're easily uh, easy to digest for people like us, who none of us majored in math in college or anything like that. <laughs> um, I avoided it, but uh, <laughs> I did want to ask because it's 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 it plays in my mind, and I think about it very often. Um, why do you guys have uh, Jack Johnson having to pay the Blackhawks eight million dollars <laughs> to pay for him to play for them? <laughs> How does that work well, on the contract value? So, for whatever it's worth, I did not major in math either, so don't <laughs> worry. Um, but uh, with Jack Johnson. He's um he's not great. He he hasn't been very good in years and he's a negative value to his team and sometimes it's a little bit awkward seeing like a negative number on that but it's because having him in your lineup generally does a disservice to your team. He hurts in every which way and then the negative only looks worse when you compare it to his actual salary. But yeah, it's just something to have like a little bit more dramatic of an edge than a replacement level player you know that that medium that zero because there are players who legitimately are negative impacts on their team and uh he tends to be one of them yeah yeah i'm not disagreeing about that (laughs) yeah it's it's uh we're showing a card on the screen right now and the (laughs) the surplus value is minus 7.7 million ah that's got to be a tough one of the worst in the league i don't think it's the worst but i think it's one of the worst well, it's crazy because I think, you know, we're at every game, and when we watch Jack Johnson, you don't see a guy who's out there screwing up, making mistakes, turning the puck over. It's really hard to notice. I mean, like, the whole team is underwater <laughs> possession-wise, right? So right. I, it's kind of my, my last question for you is, you know, analytics and hockey have come a long way, but I think more so than in any other sport, it's, it's really t- like I always compare hockey to like getting metrics on a pinball game. So much of it is random. There's so much, ra- you know, bounces and, and, you know, post hit and, and wherever it hits the board is going to ricochet somewhere else. There's so many things that can happen in the course of a play that's really hard to break down. I know it's come a long way. What do you think is like the next step in hockey analytics? Like, what's going to be the thing that takes it over the hump that maybe can take it to the next level for, for, for people like you, whose job it is to break down the numbers and the science of hockey, because it is tough to enter. It is imperfect. I think you would admit uh, that it's yeah. imperfect and you're sort of restricted by the information you have. What, what needs to happen? Um, I think there needs to be a little bit more of an acceptance of it overall. I think that there needs to be an understanding that most people who work in this don't just look at the numbers, they tie it to the video mm-hmm. as well. So someone like Jack Johnson might look, might not look glaringly bad because of, the environment's so terrible, but then you can go back to his days in Colorado and there are some iffy plays. You can go back to Pittsburgh and the Rangers. That was a very bad tenure too. Um, and you can just pinpoint all the wrongs and his projection is based on that. But it does help to understand like most of us do pair it with video. If you don't pair it with video and you 
simply look at the numbers, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to others reading you. And I think the same goes if you're only watching the video and you're not taking in other available information. Um, something that will help is a general understanding for more people, getting it into the mainstream, uh, understanding the different concepts, the different ideas, and of course, improving the data. Uh, in the public sphere, we're working with what we have. It's not very good. Uh, the NHL tracking data is not perfect. Their shot locations are not perfect. Even when we look at things like expected goals, in the public sphere, we have to exclude block shots because that's recorded from the location of the block, not the shot. Doesn't help us then. We can't you know, quantify the value of that shot attempt because we have no idea where it came from unless you watch the video, try to pinpoint it yourself and it's very messy. It would help to have things like pre-shot movement. Um, a lot of private models already have this information and that's, you know, a big difference. So it helps to know is a shot more dangerous because it was preceded by, uh, you know, cross lot pass. What about on the other end? Was it a rush or a rebound? There's things that we can use as proxies, but to have that legitimate information, it would help. Um, and just more consistent, you know, forms of it, having a full database with zone entry data and zone exit data and stick checks and body checks that actually show separation of the player from the puck when a hits made. So it's like an effective hit. It just, we need better data. We need more information so we can keep, you know, growing. I think a lot of analysts have done incredible work with what they have in the public sphere and have built it up. But I do think we're getting to the point where we need more and then see what, you know, analysts can do from there. You look around at, you know, who a lot of teams have hired to work in these departments. They worked in the public sphere. They were some of the ones leading the innovation. So the more information we can get, the next wave of innovation we can get. Shana, thanks for your time. You've been so generous. We've kept you over a half hour here. Uh, so thank you so much. Make sure you check out Shana's work at The Athletic. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Hey Shea with six Y's. <laughs> Make sure all the Y's are in there. And of course, uh, check out the Too Many Men podcast, uh, which is great with Sarah Sivian and Allison Lucan. Uh, we appreciate your time, Shana. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. That was Shana Goldman of The Athletic. Thank you so much to her for her time. We want to remind everybody that the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program is committed to helping families and businesses and the communities they serve manage energy and lower energy bills now and into the future. ComEd offers a wide array of incentives on lighting and other efficiency upgrades to commercial, industrial, and public sector customers of all sizes across their territory. Customers can inquire about how to upgrade outdated lighting to energy and money-saving efficient LED lights, Learn more about network lighting to operate your lights through your mobile device and track your facility's usage and more. Incentives have recently increased for indoor, outdoor lighting, and networked lighting controls, making these projects even more cost-effective than before. Visit comed.com slash poweringbiznow to start saving money and energy and to start a project. Contact them at 855-433-2700. For more info, email businessee at comed.com or public sector ee at comed.com and when you check the calendar there's only six five, five five games left at the united center five before the trade deadline so possibly five games to see your favorite blackhawk jack johnson still in a <laughs> blackhawks uniform so if you want to get tickets to one of those five remaining games we highly recommend you use GameTime, the hottest new ticketing site that makes it easier than ever to score the best deals on tickets to sports, concerts, and shows. Have you ever dreamed of sitting in a seat you thought you never could? Like the 50-yard line, courtside, right at center ice. Maybe you love those 200-level seats. Well, it's possible with the GameTime app. The biggest last-minute price drops can be found on the seats you thought you could never buy, and you will not find better deal on Blackhawks tickets this season they guarantee the lowest price if you find a better look better price on one of those other imitation ticket sites let them know over at game time they will match it if you love chgo then you'll love game time the best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the podcast description if you're watching live on youtube go ahead scroll down smash that giant white thumb and under that you'll see the link to game time and wherever you're listening to today's episode, you will see the link in the podcast description. So click on that and join 15 million people who have used game time to score the best seats to all your favorite events. All right, the time has come. Time has come. For you to get tatted up. Do we right, need to uh, give Bob some time to get over here? Yeah, I think he's, he's, been, he's been setting off in the green room, i.e. the <laughs> last table. 
<laughs> and uh, I think we're we're gonna get ready to roll here. We're gonna get a little uh, little CHGO logo. Not the letters. The letters will not be tattooed. <laughs> that comes with the lifetime contract. Yeah, that comes with the yeah, lifetime I gotta get contract. The, I gotta get the lifetime contract from Denver, <laughs> but being joined by uh, our guy Bob Haas from Family Tattoo over at 2125 Belmont. They are uh, great little tattoo shop. They did my most recent one a couple about a month ago. Nice. Um, yeah, they're over on Belmont, just Roscoe Village, just east of Western Avenue. So they are, uh, you can find them, Family Tattoo on Instagram. Great little shop there. So when I was there getting this tattoo about a month ago, I just, I mentioned, I said, you know, I, I have to even out my arms now. Mm. I want to keep this arm all black. And I'm thinking, let's just get the CHGO logo, just the flag. And then works. I said, hey, do you mind if I bring uh, our, our social media uh, Casey with to take some film and stuff? He's like, yeah. And then a couple minutes later, he's like, how about I just come and do it right there on air? I'm like, sure. It's awesome. It's bye week. <laughs> yeah, what else right? are we going to do? Got to get some, gotta get some content. And I out think of uh, Lawrence has uh, set up our tattoo cam. Yeah, we're going to see what we can do about that. We'll see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> you can Tat see cam. some of the, uh, the, the work here uh, on your screen. Yeah, looks looks great. I'm I'm excited to see this. I uh, I have zero tattoos. Uh, Jay, any? We we can change that. I can't decide. No, we can't. I told <laughs> Bob when he got here. I've been thinking about my first tattoo for about 25 years, and I just can't. Uh, I can't make up my mind. Jeez, I feel like it has like, to perfectly like represent my entire life in a <laughs> three by three circle somehow. Ah, there um, you go. Maybe I should just suck it up and get like a ta uh, taco tattooed in my arm or something. And sure. Just, I mean, it's something I love, and it's something I'll always love. That's true. Right. I can't imagine a day can't you're going to wake up. Same for Def Leppard, which sounded like a cool idea 30 <laughs> years ago. You know, I can't imagine there's ever going to be a day where you wake up and go, you know what? I'm over those tacos. I really I'm regret done. that. I really I regret you, this tattoo. I can promise you that's not the case. And as Greg and Bob get set up here, I want to remind everybody about our CHGO takeover on Friday, February 10th at the United Center Hawks Coyotes. We have single digit tickets. When I say single digit, I mean like two Right, yeah, maybe two or three tickets left. It's getting whittled down for our takeover. So uh, jump on that allchgo.com to get your tickets. And remember, if you are a CHGO diehard, you save twenty percent on our takeovers, on our tailgates, on all of our merch at the CHGO locker. And uh, so, if this is your first event, it's a perfect time to nice. sign up to be a diehard because you'll save on the event and get a free T-shirt for your trouble. It's going to be uh, a good for time. becoming a CHGO diehard. So. While this happens, we've got some hockey conversation. Yeah, let's just keep yeah. the conversation going. To talk about. I mean, there's no reason to. We have the first major. Yeah, just trade. you know, ignore the, ignore the screams that Greg will. Yeah. Make. yeah. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh God. No, I think uh, I think uh, I think Greg is definitely a pro. At yeah, this. he seems like he's yeah. got. Yeah, no, got this a is it's actually kind of soothing. Actually, the, the the shaving of the hair is the part that makes me the most nervous. I'm more worried about getting cut during that <laughs> than the actual tattooing <laughs> part. So yeah. the first major trade of the season happened yesterday. Yeah. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks traded Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders. Uh, in return, they got Anthony Bele I can never say his name. Beauvillier. Beauvillier. 25-year-old uh, with a 4.15 million cap hit. Uh, prospect Atu Rate. He's 20. And a conditional first-round pick, which is top 12 protected. Now, Horvat was probably the top prize in the trade market, a guy who's on a on pace for sixty goals, really good player, still in his prime, yeah. entering his prime. Even you could probably argue. So, well, a lot of people are kind of panning the return here because, well, they're panning the trade in general because the Islanders are not like cup contenders by any means. No, and they didn't really get Vancouver to get any super prospects back in the deal either. Yeah, they got two. A decent player, decent prospect, and a decent first-round pick. That's great. But if this is going to set the market for Kane and Taves, it kind of makes you wonder. Hey, what's that noise? What's the return going to be? <laughs> yeah, well, that is louder than I expected. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if you if you listen to, you know, Patrick Alvin, the, the GM of the uh, Canucks, they got three first-round picks for Bo Horvat be, because <laughs> yeah. Beauvillier was a, a former first-round pick. Uh, Rite also, you know, a fir first round caliber player, and then, like you said, the uh, the protected first round pick. But yeah, I, it it ma really made me kind of raise an eyebrow because I was just like thinking, you know, Bo, Bo Horvat, the way he's been playing and and going to a team like the Islanders, where 
you know, he's he's got 30 goals already this season, and they've been struggling to score all season. You would have thought maybe to get that hole, you know, plugged in in your in your uh, in your armor there for the for the Islanders, you would have had to maybe give up a little bit more, or that a, a guy that caliber would have garnered a little bit more. But I think what plays into this is that you know the 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 trade deadline always I think we always get into our heads about like oh four first round picks for yeah. Patrick Kane or anything right. like that this 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 trade you know definitely uh fits along the lines of like what a trade deadline return usually is for these top tier guys it's it's a current player a top prospect and and a pick and uh you know an, an early pick and you look at uh, what Claude Giroux went for it was it was a top prospect it was a pick and I believe a player was also uh, involved in that an NHL ready player so it it kind of goes along the lines and so I, I think if, if we're thinking about how this impacts a Jonathan Taser Patrick Kane probably more Patrick Kane like you said um, you know once Horvat has now been traded and now that Timo Meyer is probably the next price off the board uh the returns on those two trades are probably going to be the caliber of what Patrick Kane will eventually fetch. And I think if we're, if we're you know, we've, we've talked about a lot of teams that could be in play for Patrick Kane. Um, I, I think if we're talking a, a first-round pick this year, if we're talking a upper-tier prospect and a guy who can step into the lineup on day one, I'm okay with that at this point. I would so if this was the Kane trade, I'd be happy with the NHL player. I want a little bit better of a prospect. And yeah, I know Rattay has been playing a lot better lately. Kind of has had a bit of a resurgence here as of late. But I don't know. I maybe we're getting our hopes up too high. And look, we got to remember too that Patrick Kane can say Rangers or nothing, and Jonathan Taves can say Avalanche or nothing. And then those teams are going to be like, well, here's what we're willing to give you. Take it or leave it. Right. And you kind of have to take it. Yeah, I mean, Red 2 is an interesting prospect because he's a guy that, um, you know, his draft year, the year before his draft year, people were talking top five pick, top three pick, and then he fell. Yeah. Um, he's underachieved a little bit. So, um yeah, I, I guess it, the weird thing is, was it you, Mario? Was it Kevin Weeks that reported that basically the Canucks took the first offer and were like, "Yep, that's what we they, want." They didn't like yeah, trying yeah. anything better. Which, if I'm a Canucks fan, that makes me very upset. You've got them. Mm-hmm. It's what Emily Kaplan said yesterday. Lou Lamorello, Lou Lamorello's favorite quote: "If you have time, use it." What's the rush? Right. Tell right. the amateurs, cool. Stand by. Give us three or four days. We're going to shop it around. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if they just saw, like, first-round pick and ran with it. But you, everyone knew you were going to get a first-round pick for Bo Horvat. Right. How, like, how do you – there's no way you're not going to get that. So, I, as a fan of the Canucks, I'd be frustrated. Because the idea there, too, is let's restart the engine a little bit. Let's get some guys that can be part of this next thing. And you get a 25-year-old, 20-year-old, fine, right? They're not going to hurt you anyway. But it, I don't think it was a king's ransom a lot of people expected. Well, and two, the the Canucks really didn't change the you know free up a lot of cap room to try and you know work out new deals in the future or or be able to take on bad contracts or anything like that. Uh, so br- by bringing in Bovillier, who's on a you know over four million dollar cap hit, Hor- Horvat was in the final year of his deal at you know in the five range or whatever. Um, so you're not really changing your money all that much. So it's it's not like you're you're freeing it up to, you know, bring in new new deals or anything like that. It's it's I don't, I don't really see on on the Vancouver side of things how much of a I guess future move this is. Like, are any of them going to be better than what Bo Horvat could be in through the rest of his career? I just, I don't know. I just don't see that. And, it, and maybe it plays into the fact that they weren't maybe expecting to ex- extend Horvat beyond this, beyond this season. Um, well, and that's, and that's why the return into Brinkett wasn't as big as exactly. we had thought it would be. Yeah. Because yeah. there wasn't a certainty beyond this year. So it's, it was, to me, it was a, it was a very confusing move. Um, and I think the, the tempering of expectations is probably best for, for Blackhawks 
fans on the return for Kane because not only is was this a bit underwhelming, uh, kind of setting the market for the top uh, for the top trade prospect, but also Patrick Kane is not playing like Bo, Bo, Bo Horvat has been playing this <laughs> Bo season. Bo Horvat, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so you know he's he's almost the opposite. Bo Horvat is is his shooting percentage is unsustainably above 20% and Patrick Kane is a career low yeah. 5 6% shooting percentage so it's you're you're can't expect the same kind of return for a guy who's not playing the same way at all and league wide now has injury questions quote unquote so i, I don't know it's it's hard to it's hard to really get a a, a good gauge on it well, uh, Aminat says, you know, Vancouver weren't going to sign Horvat to $8 million for seven or eight years. Maybe. But I also saw reports that they weren't going to budge from, like, 5.2. Like, what? Like, you got to pay people what they're worth. Right. And you can argue that he's maybe not an $8 million player. I think if you look at the guys in this league that make $8 million, that he certainly is. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't keep, like you said, like, the money changing is not that significantly different. It doesn't create a lot of opportunity for Vancouver to, to do anything. So, I don't know. It's weird. I think I think more than anything, it's weird. You know why the Islanders wanted to do it. Right. They think that he could be the difference in getting him in the playoffs. And from there, who knows what can happen because they've had some recent playoff success and they're a big team and they can defend. They just can't score for shit. Well, a 30-goal scorer helps with that. Yeah. So, you, you see why they're saying, all right, let's, let's give it a shot. But – for Vancouver, it just feels like there could have been so much more in return. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And, you know, it, there's a lot of reasons to be mad if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan <laughs> these days. I mean, yeah, you basically gave up Bo Horvat, and, and you, you may still get something out of that deal. Uh, you know, I can't say it now because my arm is on fire, but Bully, <laughs> Beauvillier. We're just going to call him Tony. Uh, he still has another year. Tony under Bo. his contract after this year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Atu Ratu could turn out to be a good player, and then you get a first-round pick, but do you trust the Vancouver Canucks to, to make the right pick and develop said player? Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of other reasons, and then you, you could say, well, hey, we just let Bo Horvat, our captain, we traded him. The first offer that came down the pipe, <laughs> we get rid of him. But yet we signed JT Miller to a huge contract. Now – who would you rather have long-term, Bo, Bo Horvat or Joe mm. J.T. Miller? I yeah, think right. everybody except J.T. Miller will say Bo Horvat. Right, yeah. So it's, and then the whole Boost Boudreaux coaching thing. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a dumpster fire and a half. And yeah. I can't say that breaks my heart. <laughs> but, you know, at some point, the fans are just, just I don't know, they're going to cause another riot or just stop showing up. I don't know. But it's confusing. It's, you see, yeah. think about this. You're a Canucks fan. You see Bull Horvat trade, and you're like, what's the return? And you're like, oh, yeah. all right. I mean, if he's not coming back next year, then okay, that's a pretty good return. Well, sure, I know, yeah. Because you're getting, you're getting at least mm, kind of good return instead of nothing. All right, let's play which a game. I, which I think if yeah. that was if – if the Islanders traded that exact package for Patrick Kane, would you be satisfied? Probably. I yeah. wouldn't be outraged. I wouldn't be mad. If they, I would be okay with it. If they handled it the same way and just took the first deal, I'd be upset. I'm saying if that was like ultimately. If that was ultimately what they could yeah, get. Yeah. That's, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't flip this table over over it. Slightly above average, you know, replacement level player, above replacement level NHL player, um, you know, a, a prospect that at one point was a highly touted prospect that in the right development could be an NA above so possibly two above replacement players and then the first round pick that could be a third so you're talking three above average players possibly for one guy that's at the tail end of his career yeah that could yeah. walk away for nothing right yeah you're probably right and i think that could be a pretty good template for what to look for mm-hmm but again, I don't know. Did Horvat have a full no trade, or did he have like a partial? I want to look it up here. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think I don't, I don't think, he, think had he had any. anything. No, he had nothing. He yeah. had no protection. Yeah. So that's you know, thirty-one other teams could have traded for Bo Horvat. 
Canucks didn't want to hear from any of them except the Islanders, but that's different too. And I, you know, I just, I'm just telling everyone, and we all are, temper your expectation on a return. If you get a first and whatever else comes with it is gravy. That's how I'm feeling about Kane and about Taves. If you get a first round pick, you take it and run. They, we, when we yep. had Jesse on, Jesse Montano from DNVR, and he said the Avalanche would trade a first round pick for Joe, for, uh, Jonathan oh, for Jonathan Taves. Like, yes, done. Let's go. We'll do it today. Do it right, today. Yeah. yeah. And any, any sort of addition to that is gravy, I think. Yeah. I just, no. don't, I just don't think Taves is going to get that. A first? First, no. I don't think so. I wonder if it would – I think it could, it could matter if, like, if he says I'll go to, you know, Colorado – I'm just naming teams, Boston, you know, Dallas, whatever. Mm-hmm. If he gives a list and then those war. teams have to yeah. bid, maybe. Sure. And, and this trade this early could help the Hawks and now puts pressure on those other teams looking for the center market particularly. Mm-hmm. The Hawks have two. One for sure that they, they probably want to trade in Domi, and then there's the Taves – so, you know, it could put pressure on, you know, one of these teams that were rumored for the Bull Horvat while they missed out on him. They didn't even get a chance to bid on him. That's yeah, so weird. Sure. So they, it's it's just, negligent. It's so Canucks. How, like, how do is. you I, – I don't understand that. You've got the top commodity at the trade deadline. Take the first offer a month before the deadline. It's, it's, it's insane. So you're telling me that they had no other calls about Bo, Bo Horvat up to any point, unless the calls they'd received so far were so far below what the Islanders offered, which and they're like, be. well, it's not going to get better. Of course, it would get better if you waited a little bit, even if you waited till the middle of February. You know, you still got two and a half weeks till the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm a Canucks fan, I'm feeling like it was they did a negligent, like a negligent job doing their due diligence. It's like the old days with he who shall not be named. You trade with three teams. Right. You're telling me to trade Brian Bickle? You had to get rid of Tavo Teravainen? You couldn't find any other team in the league that was willing to take a shot on Brian Bickle? Maybe you throw in a different prospect. But you had to give up Tavo Teravainen to get rid of Brian Bickle. I know we're way past history here, mm. but that's what I'm talking about. It's like, I just want it over with. Well, it could just get it over with. Never underestimate the old boys club. I mean, you're dealing with Lou Lamoretto <laughs> and Jim Rutherford. <laughs> yeah, right. Jeez. You know, yeah. maybe Lou used that old school Jedi mind trick and just said, you will give me Bo Horvath. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. That must have been what happened. I just, boy, it's, it, it can be a little bit, uh, I don't know if it makes you feel better that other GMs aren't great. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's, if that's like some, somehow reassuring, but. It's just nice to be on the other side of that conversation for a while. Yeah. 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 Well, I sure. think, that, I mean, just think of how everybody felt when the Debrinka trade was mentioned. Yes. You know, because we're hearing from, uh, you know, Elliot Friedman leading up to it, like multiple first, maybe three first round picks or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then that's he, not the re- return. It and it's was, like, yeah, if he had to turn, man, he would have gotten that. But yeah. if, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. You know, the way the, the Flames did it with Kachuk. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that the Canucks didn't try to do that with Horvat. Yeah. Sign him to that deal he wants and then get him to the team he wants to go to. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised they didn't even attempt that. But actually, I'm not. I'm not surprised at anything the Canucks do. They are just, <laughs> they are just Again, yeah. a, a, an organization with their tires stuck in the mud. No traction. You know, and I meant they're to not, And they're not going to... And they're not going to break it down, build, uh, you know, tear it down and rebuild because they're still believing in Elias Pettersson and, and Quinn Hughes and some of the pieces that they still have on that team to, oh, it's a it's a great term in this town and retool on the fly and, and we the pieces are there. No, they're not. Who has done it where it's worked? Who has retooled on the fly and it's worked for them? To go from not in contention to back in contention. Yeah, I mean, you, you could know. argue maybe the Jets. But the Jets were just perpetual underperformers. And they made a coaching change. Yeah. Le- le- much less of a roster overhaul. You could argue right. the Bruins. They kind of fell off there for a couple years. You get Pasternak, though, and that helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Penguins. McAvoy developed. But were the Penguins ever out of yeah, it? Well, I mean. Not really. To go that long between cups and but still have the same core. Is, is unusual. But you've got two 
and you know you could look at you, Dallas got, what they're you, going through. You've now. got two Dallas, of the yeah. best. I guess you could you could maybe make the same argument for the Hawks, but Crosby is better than Taves. Yes, Kane's better than Malkin, so it's maybe it's yeah yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Like Crosby is one of those dudes, like in the in the upper echelon of all timers. Well, and look at how many players he helped become superstars. Yeah. Like on any other team, would would Jake Gunsel have become who he is now? Would Brian Rust be the player that he is now? Um, you know, some of those some of those minor role players that got elevated because they had the opportunity to play with Crosby. I mean, that's that 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 goes a, a long way, and and to have a player like that obviously will will help you keep you in contention uh, for as long as, as they did. But yeah, I mean that they they weren't the perennial cup contender, but they were they were in and out of play uh, in and out of playoff positions, and um, yeah, I, I think it's 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 tough to find a team that has truly been like well. They were really good, and then they were really bad. But they made these one, two changes, and then they got really good again. Like, like you said, like Dallas is, is I, mean, I think, argue, is a you could decent argue example. Maybe Tampa. They were in the Cup final in 2015. Needed a few years to kind of get back there. Yeah, had some of those guys from that. 2015 a lot of that too, though, around. is Tamkos's health. Yeah, yeah. For, but you were able to add yeah. in a Kucherov and, and right. you know a point and some of those guys that yeah, weren't get, there on that 2015 team. You get some of those guys in there, yeah, for sure. That 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 makes a difference. Speaking of teams spinning their wheels, I saw a story yesterday, and I, I failed to bookmark it, but uh, apparently the Nashville Predators aren't sure what to do. That no. Sounds, that sounds on brand for them. They what aren't sure if they should sell or buy. Go I say it, buy. Go for I it, I say Nashville. buy. <laughs> yeah. Buy all the B-level players you can. Trade us, trade us that young goalie for Max Domi. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> that sounds really great. Yeah. You can do that. Yeah, it's a... Uh, GM for life, man. You it, can do these types of it's things. It's just nice to. It, it is just nice to have a little bit of faith in your current GM, and I do. And yeah. maybe someday he'll lose all my faith because I, <laughs> I. There was a time where I had faith in the last guy. Hey, you know what? Every executive do. loses faith at some point. Yeah. Like, so just write it out while it's good. Yeah. There's no reason to not have. I don't know about if confidence is the right word, but at least some optimism. Optimism. That this guy has a, a, a clue what he's doing. Um, you know, the, the tr it's trending in the right direction. Obviously, there's a long way to go, and, the, and there's things that can go wrong. But it's definitely trending in the right direction, and you gotta, we, we've got a general manager with a plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many of these, the Canucks do not have a plan. The Predators seem like they do not have a long-term plan. It's like, let's just get to the playoffs every year and see where we go. That sounds familiar. That sucks after a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like what Emily Kaplan said yesterday. She she mentioned how she has a lot of respect for Kyle Davidson for sticking to his guns. Yeah. And they're like Shana said, like with Lucas Reichel, there's a lot of temptation when you see a kid perform like that to say, oh, he, we need that. Mm -hmm. We need that shiny little thing to keep the season interesting and keep us going. But if he was here, they'd be better. There's no doubt, and maybe that yeah. one – I mean, look at We do the tank standings after every game. Maybe that one win is the difference between Connor Bedard and not. Maybe. And he knows that. And and the fact that he is so like, that would be really hard for me to do. Well, yeah. and it's really also, hard. I think it also helps that he has set the bar so low for this season <laughs> that no one's really going to get that mad at him for not trying to win games. Like you've, right, you've, yeah. you've, people get more mad when they win. Yeah, you've put that, you've instilled that mindset to like, hey, we're trying to be bad here. We want Connor Bedard, and that's counterproductive. So I, I think that helps. Now, when there starts to be some expectations, does that get him to start, you know, swinging for the fences a little more? We'll see. You know, it's 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 easy to stick to your plan when you're at the beginning of your plan. Mm -hmm. Good point. When you start to sniff success. Look at the Red Wings. They thought they were like, hey, this is the this year. Is the year. We're going to go. Ready. We're going to yeah. get all these veterans. They haven't done crap. They're not in the playoffs right now. Like, right. They're struggling. And they did that. They added the kind of guys that those B or C tier free agents like David Perron, Perennial Pudwack, Oli Mata, <laughs> who for some reason when the Hawks signed him three years ago was a big joke. And then Steve Eiserman signs him and it's brilliant. It's funny how that works. Got that Iserman dust on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes right. You look better. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. <laughs> uh, we got some super chats to get to, and we will. But first, you guys may have heard there's a big football game coming up 
The stage is set, and we're counting down to the battle in Arizona. There's no better way to get ready for the NFL action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57. I am old. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your Super Bowl 57 winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Um, passing yards, Chiefs over. I don't know. Sure. That sounds good. I just think Pat Mahomes, when it's all said and done, will be the best ever. Yeah, he could Statistically, be. Statistically, like passing yards, touchdown interceptions, he pr- probably won't win as many Super Bowls as Tom Brady did. But when you talk about just pure passing yards and – and all those things, I don't think there's ever going to be anyone better. And he could have been a bear. Until, he just, until he was Justin told Fields, he was going my to be friends. A bear. Well, yeah, yes, exactly true, right, my friend. Uh, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the code CHGO. New customers get five, bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHGO. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. Damn. Sorry, See Ohio. show notes for details. <laughs> Never heard anyone say I'm going to Ohio on vacation. Ah. I have. I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Take that, Joakim. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was specific on Cleveland. Yeah. So. yeah. Is that where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is? It is, is. yes. 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 Okay. Uh, my friend well, went there, there once, and uh, she was parked outside the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right by the river there, and a body washed up. Oh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a good transition to the next ad read. Hey, speaking of... you don't want your body to wash up... Speaking of washing things (laughs) down, uh, uh, Goose Island. Hey, Goose Island Beer Company. They they are now supporting us here at CHGO, and we love it. They are uh, Chicago's beer since 1988. And if you didn't know... Uh, by the amazing set of cans on the set here, hey. the Blackhawks hey, hey, right here, <laughs> the beer cans right oh, here, okay. the Blackhawks Pale Ale and the Bulls City three one two, both limited releases, both uh, specialty releases from Goose Island, uh, pairing well with their full list of beers, which of course uh, is headlined by the staple three one two in the un forgettable yellow can uh of course they have the bourbon count bourbon bourbon county stout use take two uh green line yeah a little bit uh the green line matilda of course uh just part of the extensive beer roster with goose island and uh of course we mentioned the uh, the CHGO takeover February 10th for the Blackhawks game. That is going to be at the Goose Island uh, Brew Pub in the United Center. Get your tickets now. They are limited, very limited. You can count them on one hand. February 10th, uh, come hang out with us at the Goose Island Pub at the UC. And if you want to, you know, outside of the United Center, enjoy some Goose Islands. You can go to their two local locations, which are open and ready to welcome you. You can grab a beer right from their innovation tanks at the Goose Island Tap Room, located at 1800 West Fulton, or get yourself a smash burger and a fresh beer of the week at the original Clybourne Brewhouse at 1800 North Clybourne. For reservations and pickup, go to gooseisland.com slash locations. Again, that is the Goose Island Beer Company. <laughs> All right, we got. Uh, let's get to some super chats here. We got that's a couple from Kayla. Thank you, Kayla, for joining us today. Um, I know it. she said she. If one more person says they want Connor Bedard to go to Vancouver, she will find where they live and fight them. Oh my, that's great. Five dollars for that, and another two <laughs> bucks. She says all of us will get Connor Bedard tattoos, which leads us to our poll question that Lawrence had on the YouTube today. If the Blackhawks win the NHL draft lottery, who should get a Connor Bedard tattoo? Jay, Mario, Greg, or all of the above. 69% of you very nicely said all of the above. <laughs> uh, it's actually, you're, you're catching up. It's down to 59 for all of the above, and Jay with 27% mm, is in second. I cannot get a tattoo of someone that is young enough to be my son. Yeah, why not? No, that's but weird. It's just a number 98. Yeah. All right. If it's all the we'll all get 98 Bedard on our backs. I'm going to tramp stamp old, if I'm doing it. Big old back <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's one more comment I want to get you to. It was to from a blank name. That was the, the username. Nice. Um, and he said, Bedard sounds a lot like Patrick Kane. Uh, I believe it was Cam Robinson. Yes. That said, 
Connor Bedard is Patrick Kane with Austin Matthews shot. Mm-hmm. That sounds great to me. In. Sign me up. Yes, that sounds good. Sign Are you done? Up. Is it I'm over? Done. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Man, that was good timing. Well timed. We're perfectly timed. You know, <laughs> good timing. It's, it's like we know what we're doing over here. If yeah, you've not, yeah. if you're not watching on the YouTube, today would be a good day to do it. Uh, as you can see, Greg get the entire tattoo from start to finish from Bob Haas uh, during the show today. Um, it looks awesome. That looks so good. That looks good. All right, now I'm evened out. See, that nice. was the point. Yeah, and I, was a little heavy. Symmetry. I yeah, your arm feel more uh, more even. I heard uh, Luke say this on the Cubs show, and he's right. Like, we're starting to do so much more stuff on YouTube. Every show has a post-show cut put up. We've got YouTube shorts going up there, so make sure you subscribe to CHGO Sports on YouTube because you're gonna if you don't, you're going to be missing out on a ton of great CHGO content. So make sure you subscribe there. On your way out today, make sure you smash that like button. We're going to be back tomorrow at 2.30. Greg, you got any parting words about your uh, tattoo? You want to give Bob one more plug oh, before we go? Yes, be sure. When you're ready to get your CHO tattoo or Connor Bedard tattoo or any tattoo. Or taco tattoo. Taco tattoos. Bob can do it all. Uh, check out Bob Haas over at Family Tattoo 2125 West Belmont. And uh, that's just that's in the Roscoe Village area. Just past Western Avenue. That you can check them out on Instagram and uh, yeah, give them a call, make an appointment. Bob's got a ton of great art there in the shop. You could pick up, uh, pick out one of his already designed tattoos, or he'll can do whatever you want, like a pickle and a Stella uh, logo. Perfect. Anything you want, Bob can handle it. So uh, check him out, Family Tattoo, and uh, we really thank you for uh, yeah, appreciate it being so flexible and coming down to. Uh, yeah, thanks, Bob, for coming in. We appreciate that, man, and we want to thank Shaden Goldman for joining the show as well. One we final got a, super chat. Yeah, another super chat from Windy City Hockey. He says the flag tattoo looks good, Greg. It sure does. It looks awesome. I hope so because it's I'm stuck with it now. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. here forever. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks to Bob. Thanks to Shana. Thanks to everybody for being part of the show today. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 2.30 on CHGO Blackhawks Podcast.